I just have one final question for Judge Kavanaugh. After all of this, do you really think you have the right demeanor and temperament to be a Supreme Court justice? I went to Yale. <laughs> Worked my butt off to get here. I busted my buns. I lifted weights. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> With Tobin. BJ and Squee and Donkey Dong Doug. And yeah, we had, a, we had a couple thousand beers along the way. Especially my good friend Mark Judge, who can't remember huge chunks of his life, but is somehow my key witness. So am I angry? You're damn right. But if you think I'm angry now, you just wait till I get on that Supreme Court, because then you're all going to pay. Give me a can of water. It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing SNL's Season 44 premiere with host Adam Driver and musical guest Kanye West. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Driver. So, to kick things off tonight, I have to issue a small correction. On our preseason extravaganza cast last week, we were talking about new cast hires, and we all referred to Ego Nuodim as Ego Nuadim. And obviously, that is not how you pronounce your name. Uh, I don't think any of us had actually heard it out loud at that time. So, you know, it's an honest mistake. Uh, but Daryl Hammond has set the record straight. And so from here on out, we will do our best to get that right. And uh, just like Melissa Villasenor, I'm sure that a few casts in will have it nailed down. Yeah. Yeah. So Mia Culpa, Ego, uh, as we mentioned before, welcome to the show. Yeah, so it's ego like the breakfast, like the waffle. Yes, not ego like the unsavory personality trait. Sure. I guess it was just a uh, Freudian slip, if you will, <laughs> sure. on our part. Wah, wah. <laughs> and that is the uh, level of comedic brilliance that we intend to bring to the cast for season 44. <laughs> so speaking of our preseason extravaganza... Last week, we had Mario Lanza and Mike Bloom on of the SNL Funhouse podcast, formerly Post Show Recaps. And Great dudes. Yeah. And they joined us to announce that they're actually going to be jumping ship and coming over to our cast to do a month in review wrap up show to sort of fill in the off weeks when SNL's on hiatus. Um, so for anyone who wasn't able to check out the preseason extravaganza. Now you guys are in the loop. Uh, starting on October 23rd, they're going to drop their first month in review covering the first three episodes of season 44. We are happy to have them on board and we're excited to be able to bring uh, more content, more voices, more perspective to our audience. So uh, I hope that some of our audience will jump back and check out the preseason extravaganza because it gives you a pretty good flavor of sort of what they'll be bringing to their show, their perspective, kind of uh, how feisty they are. And, you know, maybe uh, just a slightly different bent on the show that you'll be getting from them on the off weeks. 
It'll be nice. It's a it's a nice uh, change up if you ever get sick of the two of us. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and they're going to move at a slightly faster clip than us too. They're not going to be doing a sketch by sketch breakdown of the show. They're just really going to be looking at what's working overall with the show and just kind of the overall feeling about you know what's fun, what's not fun, just all the high level stuff that I think on an off week it's fun to have kind of a more casual breakdown of the show as a whole. So uh, I hope our audience agrees. I hope they enjoy it. And uh, like I said, the first one will be dropping on October 23rd. Looking forward to it. Yes. NBC has released the full lineup for October on October 6th. We're getting Aquafina with musical guest, Travis Scott. And then on October 13th, Seth Meyers with musical guest, Paul Simon. Any thoughts on the October lineup? You know what, John, I'm a fan of three out of four of these guys. Okay. I don't think I know who Travis Scott is, but Huge fan of Paul Simon, pretty much all my life. Seth Meyers, most of my life. (laughs) Aquafina, not as big of a chunk of my life. I've been a fan of her, but in recent years, uh, she's been on my radar. And um, she's gaining some traction after this uh, Crazy Rich Asians movie. So definitely great to see her uh, channeling that success into a uh, SNL gig. Yeah, looking forward to it all. Seth Meyers. it's going to be interesting how they use him as a host because he's never been, you know, a sketch leader per se mm-hmm. in his run. So we'll see what happens with that. Well, you know, that is true because we, we associate him with the update desk, which is kind of the traditional yes. place where a head writer, though a member of the cast kind of pools most of their time and energy on the show, but he didn't start out as a head writer for his first couple seasons. He was, you know, in the thick, uh, doing tried and true sketch work. And he had a lot of good moments. I mean, he's not a master impressionist or a chameleon or he's not that kind of performer, but he's solid. He knows how to deliver a line. And uh, I think they're going to have fun with him. If nothing else, nothing's going to be off limits, right? Like he knows the show. So it's not like they're going to have kid gloves on or feel like they have to kind of like uh, work around his limitations. I think everybody's going to be having a lot of fun that week. And, and I think his voice like we saw maybe with John Mulaney last year is going to be able to infuse the show with a bit more of, of his sensibility. And I'm, yes. I look forward to seeing what that looks like again. You took the words out of my mouth with John Mulaney, right? Because I could totally see the same kind of episode come out because he can just take over pretty much every facet of SNL because he knows every working cog. Right. So we're going to see some, uh, grade A stuff from that one for sure. Yeah. That's the one I'm particularly looking forward to. It looks like this was a handcrafted episode for the fans, right? Paul Simon has a long history with the show. So the, the diehard old timey SNL nerds are going to be able to get on board with that. Seth Meyers is beloved, you know, one of, uh, Lauren's proteges. So there's just a lot that's going to be familiar and fun for yeah. SNL fanatics on that one. I think the Aquafina Travis Scott show, that's more for the young folk. <laughs> so definitely. Yeah, we'll have fun with it, but uh, I'm not going to have as much to say about that because I know very little about either of them as well. I'll enjoy October 6th probably, but October 13th is a host I've always wanted and a musical guest that I've wanted to come back for a long time. Right. That's the one that I think is, is really going to be up our alley. So that's the lineup. That's October. And uh, I can't wait. Can't wait to see what Seth Meyers is going to bring. I think that's going to be a fun show. Yeah. Beautiful. So let's jump into the show proper here for the cold open Fox news covers the Kavanaugh Senate hearing. We get a surprise appearance from Matt Damon as Brett Kavanaugh and Rachel Dratch as Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> All right. So what do we think? I thought this was working. 
It's definitely a lot more of what we've seen in previous years. We didn't get Trump this time, but we got a brand new cameo for yet another name that's popped up in the news. Right. Yeah. Matt Damon as Brett Kavanaugh was was gold as far as I'm concerned. Mm Mm-hmm. Matt Damon's one of my favorite angry actors. <laughs> yes. He just flies off the handle and tells off someone who who deserves it. Uh, <laughs> I will waste you. Yes, he does that very yes. well. Yeah. I think for that light to go off when thinking of Brett Kavanaugh was a brilliant uh, turn of casting. And I thought the whole thing worked going out from there. So A plus. Okay. Yeah, this one didn't immediately win me over because I was expecting it. You know, how were they not going to do this for the cold open? So when they kind of hit it sort of in their traditional way, let's introduce it with uh, cable news commentator, then we'll go on scene and here's all the impressions lined up and we're just going to kind of go down the row and give everyone a, a minute to play up one of the weird personality quirks of the real politicians. None of that was really winning me over, but I do have to say that Matt Damon and how they ramped up his broy frat boy hijinks to 11. It, it worked. It really did work. His, yes. his, his defense of his youth was just, it was too funny of a situation for them not to be able to come up with enough good material to carry the cold open. It was 12 minutes and change. So, I mean, they probably could have pared it down and we would have, still had a good time with it, but overall I felt like there was enough here that I'm going to count this one as a win too. Yeah. No, this was a a win for sure. Beautiful. Before we move on though, there was one little thing that has been irking me with SNL's political writing. It was present last year, but I feel like it was on full display with this cold open. And I'm really hoping that it doesn't become a constant feature of the cold open writing. And that's where the performer prefaces some stupidity by basically explaining exactly what they're going to do. Like just really telegraphing what the joke is going to be and then doing it. I feel like that's kind of lazy. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, what, like what's an example in here? So like Chris red had just like five seconds in this cold open. Right. And I don't even remember what his character was, but he basically came on and said, well, I'm just going to do my whatever face. And then he does the face and he gets the laugh and and goes on. And to me, that feels like the writer sitting around watching the tape of the actual hearings and just goofing on everybody's, you know, silly gestures or the, the dumb things that they say as they go. And rather than build a character out of it, they just say, let's just put it on display. Yeah. You know, let's just put a light on it. Yeah. I get where you're saying. I can't, I can't put him at fault. Like we all loved Daryl Hammond and yet he would go on weekend update and say, I'm going to do this with my thumb and this with my mouth and put it <laughs> together to do this. And we all laughed. I, I don't see how that's much a departure from that. Sure. It's, it's not, it's merely an observation and just reflecting that. And I get how that could be considered cheap or a shortcut, but Hey, it's, I think it gets a laugh and I think, yeah, I think it has value like anything else. It does get a laugh and it's not that, it doesn't have value or it isn't a valid way of writing comedy. It just seems to be like they're going to it so often that it's become a bit of a crutch. I think sometimes you don't look for the more creative way to present a character. If you have this like tried and true comedy bit that you can always just go back to, it's like having a catchphrase, you know, like I don't think family matters got any better. The more they realized that 
they could just have Steve Urkel come on and say, did I do that? And get the laugh, right? Like it's cheap at a certain point. Yeah. It's not that it's not funny. It's not that it doesn't get the laugh. It's that it's easy. And it'd be nice to see them dig a little deeper and get a little more creative sometimes. And I just, I would hate to see us go through the season and just have them lean on that more and more and more until it really starts to get groans and people just see it coming a mile mm-hmm. away and it stops working. I forgive it more so with cold opens than other sketches because they do have to make tweaks very last minute. Mm-hmm. They try to be as topical and as current as possible. So right. in my case, I allow some leeway, you know, for them to make a couple of cheap jokes if that's all they got time for to fill it in, you know? Sure. And they're playing to the people that have actually watched the legit hearings. So those are the people that are going to enjoy that type of setup the best because they're the ones that probably noticed it too and thought, oh yeah, that is funny that they picked up on that. So I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying let's, let's use it as seasoning. Let's not go super heavy on it. That's my one critique of the cold open is I, I would like to see them vary things up and whenever possible, try and let the underlying concept be funny and not just the one-off observations of the stupidity of reality. Yeah. Uh, That can only take you so far. And I'd like to see them dig a little deeper, but Hey, we're only one episode in, we're back from summer vacation. They're not gonna, you know, be hitting season highs right out of the gate. So (laughs) that's why I can still count this as a win because it was fun despite maybe not being super inventive. It's all good. I can dig it. Cool. All right. Well, that's a lot on the cold open. Let's take a look at the monologue. Adam Driver is terrible at small talk. He is though. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But I can't blame him. He makes a good point. Now, I like how it was kind of a showcase of uh, seeing a lot of the old cast after the summer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was thinking, you know, Adam Driver didn't need the help. Sure. If they had any other idea where Adam had to carry it himself. I wouldn't have been worried because he's proven himself to be great on the show. But as, as much as, you know, he was supported and lifted up and basically had a dialogue more than a monologue right. for this outing, it worked for what it was and I enjoyed it. And it was, it was great to see all my old friends and uh, yeah, I had a great time. Yep. Yeah. I felt very similarly. I think he has exceptional comedic timing and I, I don't think people always maybe recognize that because he plays mostly dramatic roles, but uh, his uh, ability to keep pace with his awkwardness while the other players kind of come in and need to roll their eyes and have that little um, moment where they cast a light on uh, sort of his shortcoming socially. Yeah. There's a lot of back and forth there that can fall apart if your timing isn't super sharp. And if you don't have the whole performance in check and he, he owned all of that material, he was playing masterfully against all the players that came out and uh, I respect it. It's not easy, especially with how quickly they got to turn this stuff around. Uh, a lesser performer would not be able to make that material soar as simple and kind of just dumb as the overall premise was. It worked because he was really in the zone and really sold it. It's true. It is. There was a lot of moments to turn on the intensity, all the stuff (laughs) that he got his little Kylo Ren moment. Yeah. Kind of gives Keenan the freak out. (laughs) We get the first Keenan reaction of the season. Yeah. Yeah. How exciting is that? Yeah. So it was all working. It was simple. There was nothing amazing about the concept that they came up with, but everybody just brought their best to it. And for that, I came away thinking, yeah, shows in good hands. That's exactly what I want from the monologue. So big win for me. Me too. Cool. Moving on. Our first live sketch of the night. A disenfranchised father plays Fortnite in hopes of bonding with his son. Yeah, uh, I loved it. (laughs) Uh, Reminds me of trying to teach any uncle or grandparent how to play video games. 
but everybody's seen that. Everybody's seen the clueless player walking <laughs> aimlessly into walls, jumping, crouching. And this is why I love Mikey Day, because his characterization, right. his ability to you know mimic those moves and make them look so repetitive as mm-hmm. if it's the same animation we're seeing over and over. All those little subtleties that, that make it so familiar. Right. I loved it. Yeah, this was great. Uh, this was Boo Boo Jeffries, but with a better storyline, you know, like the, the dad character having him be a little, you know, damaged or just emotionally off. Yeah. There's something funnier about him trying to master the D pad than, you know, the, the, the gamer kids in the last version where they're not really adding much to the sketch. It really just all hung on the performance of the, you know, the action stance of the, the characters. So this one had fun things coming from both directions. It had the in-game uh, world that, like you yeah. said, is like really on point. Mikey day is brilliant with his like distant polygon face stare where there's no like eye movement or real facial expression. It's just, yeah, that repetitive back and forth motion and, and kind of the canned maneuvers that these, uh, in-game players are able to perform. Uh, he had it, he had it down and it really was like a ramped up version of what we saw last year. And for that, I thought, yeah, if you're going to revisit it, you got to go bigger and you got to have more in the writing to help it go further than the previous outing. And I think they nailed both aspects. So win for me. Yes, they did. Win for me too. Cool. Moving on. We get a pre-tape. Kyle Mooney is tired of living in Pete Davidson's shadow. And uh, we get an appearance from Wendy Williams and Kid Cootie. This is our first season 44 outing in the Saturday Night Live cinematic universe. Uh, Were you happy to revisit this? Uh, What'd you think? Happy to be back in the SNL CU. Yes. If you will. Uh, This is a great outing in uh, a long stream of vignettes. Mm-hmm. Kyle's always just butting heads and uh, he's been the source for a lot of drama. It seems behind the scenes <laughs> and only natural. He uh, is jealous of Pete's attention. He's yes. had a very busy summer. Uh, been making a lot of headlines. So I can totally see Kyle's desperation manifesting this way to mimic the hair, to steal the friends. It's, it's very consistent with the character we've gotten sure. to know so far. So all of these little shorts are continuing to, to succeed. And, yeah, let's keep them going. It's it's working. Yeah, I would be happy to see a few more of these throughout the season. These are real gems. I do love the surreal quality where there's apparently rules in the SNL universe, like how you solve problems. There is a masquerade ball. You know, there is a music recital. In this world, there's all these like SNL events that are just, yeah. you know, whimsical outings. Uh, so I do love that as these shorts have gone on, they've really played that up and they've gotten more extravagant with the the little uh, extracurricular activities that all the cast is in on. So this had another right. one of those that I think really, you know, this is the set piece. This is what really made it for me. Um, the fun of the the costuming and everybody really like embracing the role, the little moment where Heidi Gardner throws the banana and you think that's just like a dumb throwaway joke of, you know, maybe she's not so classy and she just throws her stuff on the ground, but then it comes back uh, and pays off later where <laughs> the whole cast being seasoned comedy pros, they can't pass up the opportunity to appreciate a great pratfall, right? Like, so, you know, there's something just really charming in the writing and how they, they just kind of take this to an absurd degree with the uh, surreal outings and uh, happy to see more. Hope uh, Kyle Mooney keeps uh, putting these out. 
Bring him on. Excellent. Moving on. We get a live sketch. An overly dramatic couple are incensed to learn that Domenico's coffee is really BK Joe. Yeah. We got a recurring, uh, recurring sketch here. Yeah. Uh, I just enjoyed just how clueless these characters are, how <laughs> confident they are in their perception of the world, <laughs> Yes, even though it just so desperately lacks. And that's what makes it work because they double down on everything. Yeah. Uh, they do not back off and uh, there's just no way of convincing them otherwise. So mm-hmm. they're really a powerful force to reckon with. You can put them in a lot of situations and just spit out comedy. That works because yeah, they just found a, a great couple of characters to go back to. I could see myself enjoying a couple of more of these, not too many, yep. but uh, yeah, it, it seems to make a good recurring sketch. Yeah. I could take one of these a season. I think Cecily strong plus a host that is known for being able to dig deep with the, uh, you know, intensity of performance, the way that Ryan Gosling can, or Adam driver can, I think when you bring those kind of hosts in that, this is a fun thing to play with. And Cecily always nails it. She's really sharp in her characterization here. I particularly loved her gagging, you know, the, the, the little like half dry heave vomit that she wants to do into Adam <laughs> driver's purse. There's just so much stupidity that they're able to, to get out of her performance that I, I love it. I think that it, it held up surprisingly well for a second outing. That is really almost a beat for beat rehash of the first one. They, they found some more fun stupidity for the, the two drama llamas. So I was good with it. I, I think this was fun. Yes, indeed. I thought it was fun too. Cool. Pre-tape rad times at frat. You, it made everything seem so innocent, quote unquote. And that's the way Kavanaugh would love to present his history to sure. you. It was all in good fun. Yeah. All of these on screen texts that foreshadow <laughs> right. the fate of everyone you see, it, it definitely puts into perspective <laughs> and a uh, brilliant way to make that point. Yeah. Uh, they had already painted the picture in the cold open that Kavanaugh was a frat boy who took his youth for all it was worth. How could they not do this pre-tape? Like this, this makes too much sense. Yeah. Um, I feel like they got the look. I feel like they had all the, the key beats of one of those teen dramedies. I, I think it was all there. I think it was really, really well executed. And the point is obvious, right? Yep. Back in the eighties, when these movies came out, they almost were saying that there were consequences. Like all of this teen drama just lived in that teen realm and it didn't ever go beyond that for any of the characters in the movies. So how fun to juxtapose that with the reality of what happens 30 years later when you're, you know, a respected judge or whatever, and uh, people are digging through your past. That's the epilogue to the John Hughes movies that you never see. And so this was great. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, but before we move on, I just want to point out there was a fun little Easter egg in one of the wording overlays at the end where they pop up kind of the, this is the fate for like all the characters in the scene all at once. Uh, there's one that says murdered by Andy Kunanen, which is a fun little callback to the John Mulaney episode, which, you know, is also a callback to the serial killer. So right. <laughs> a little, little dark. Um, but I think they just threw that in because that was such a fun little subversive moment in the John Mulaney episode that I think one of the writers appreciated getting that Easter egg in. And so whoever threw that in, know that it didn't go unnoticed. I thought that was a fun moment too. Unnoticed by me, but I'm glad you caught it. <laughs> All right, moving on. Let's take a look at our musical performances. Kanye West performs. I love it with Lil pump 
and via telescreen, Adele Givens. And then after that, we get, we got love with Tayana Taylor. And then after the good nights, we get a third song ghost town with the Saturday night live band, kid cootie, Oh seven, Oh shake and Ty Dola sign on guitar. Uh, okay. So a very musically dense outing tonight. Give me your hot take. Yeah. We got a three songer. Mm-hmm. If they all qualify as songs. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, this, uh, this first song here, I love it. <laughs> this is proof that they'll just let Kanye do whatever he wants. If he wanted to show up and just put a sandbox on the SNL stage and start making castles for four minutes, they'd let him do it. Cause that's his art. It's his art. Yeah. <laughs> he could be doing finger paintings and putting them on a row of refrigerators across of 8H. It seems he, the world is his oyster as far as Lauren Michaels is concerned because he doesn't seem to say no much to him. Uh, I don't even know what to say about I Love It as a performance. It really felt like they just were more concerned with having fun amongst themselves and putting together a cohesive performance. Sure. Or they just didn't care as much as it seemed they didn't care. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was totally bizarre. It's Everybody's talking about it. Some people are saying it's one of the worst performances of <laughs> SNL history. I think we have to wait a few years to actually know if this is any good or not, because it's just maybe just too ahead of our time. Oh, I don't have to wait. <laughs> I'll tell you whether it's any good right now. How good is it? <laughs> this was not good. There, there was nothing good about this. Kanye West, as everybody knows, has a track record of what would you call it? Like uh, media horror? Like what, what's the word where you are intentionally trying to, uh, just generate buzz and clicks and be provocative for sensationalism's sake. Like this may be Kanye's art, but if he's an artist, it's in generating headlines. It's not in like saying something profound and deep and artistic. It's in playing the media like a fiddle. He just wants to stir the pot. Exactly. Yeah. He's a crap disturber. <laughs> and uh, it seems like there were a few moments tonight that were consciously crafted to do just that. And I don't like even talking about it because I feel like you're just playing into it at that point. Yeah. He wins at that point. Exactly. So my hot take is uh, Kanye West. Uh, I think he's a joke. I think you show up in your wrapper in a box Lightroom in a, what was it? A Perrier bottle costume. I'll uh, bring it on home to Omeletteville. Yeah. I can't take you seriously. There's just nothing there that you're going to convince me was decided upon for the sake of saying something important or profound. This is just media hooplery and uh, I have no patience for it. Hey, um, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I was trying to dance around it, and I think you saw that, so you cut to the chase. I appreciate that. Uh, but that's the first song, and there's at least something nice to say about We Got Love. I thought Tiana Taylor was was great. Okay. Very racy outfit. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed that Standards and Practices was playing it cool <laughs> with that. Okay. But I think we should talk about Ghost Town, though, because we can write off I Love It as just a cry for attention. We got love was acceptable and ghost town was, you know what? It was just straight up enjoyable. I, I thought that was a nice sounding song to listen to. Sure. It didn't sound like anybody was trying to challenge me. <laughs> it, it, it sounded like good music at that point. So I kind of have forgive Kanye after that first third. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. 
Ghost Town was a lot of fun. I thought that the uh, guitar in particular that was cutting through the mix was just really fun. Like it really, really served the song well. And it's pleasant when a hip hop song um, attempts to focus more on the melody with the lyrics. Um, That's not to say that everybody singing was on key, but it was a more musical take on hip hop. And I appreciate that. I think that that's a lot of fun when you've got the lyrical stylings of hip hop, but you've also got a bit more of the melodic performance woven in too. Yeah. I really like that. I love the Saturday Night Live band uh, being in the mix on it. I I just think that the sound that they generated is just richer than something that kind of comes out of a studio and is a little more heavily processed and just doesn't have the same life that a true live performance will have. So this was the, the highlight of the music for the night. Now, you know, a little bit later, I think we'll have a few things to say about what followed, but for now, just purely on musical terms, I, I think that the third song was the win. The other two, eh, first one train wreck, second one, take it or leave it. That's kind of my, uh, my overall thoughts on it. Hi guys. I want to jump out of the cast for just a minute to talk about some of the fun rewards we're offering to our listeners through Patreon. If you're not aware patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash snl podcast is where our most awesome listeners can pledge their support for the show and in turn receive a variety of patron only rewards you can pledge any amount you want and for as little as four dollars a month you'll get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode on mondays immediately after we record but that's not all we're offering Our patrons can have us promote their shows, events, businesses, or products. They can get us to perform an SNL sketch on the cast, or even join us as a guest reviewer. We're offering seven reward levels from NBC Page all the way up to Lorne Michaels. So head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and check them out. It's your support that will ensure that we can make the cast as great as possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. Like Joshua Connolly from Belleville, Illinois who's one of our fabulous featured player patrons. Joshua, thank you so much for your support. And now, back to the show. Uh, Let's take a look at Weekend Update. For their lead-in, Jostin Che tackle Brett Kavanaugh appearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. What'd you think of uh, Jostin Che's opening salvo tonight? Oh, it really does look like they had fun picking this (laughs) apart. Sure. You could tell that they were giddy, uh, just having the chance to address something like this because it was it was it was a hot mess to say the <laughs> least and they they made all the right points it's a bizarre time that the US is living in and as a canadian you know i feel kind of bad being removed and and viewing it through this lens but uh i got to say it's it's keeping me enthralled <laughs> sure uh it's entertaining if nothing else uh this was a return to form for Joseph and Che uh yes. the Emmys did not impress me as we dug into a little bit on our preseason extravaganza uh i don't think that the more tepid Emmy fair that they were kind of forced to <laughs> present really serves them. I think Che's at his best when he can turn a phrase that's a little risque or really catch someone off guard and, uh, you know, hit a little harder and we weren't seeing any of that at the Emmy. So I think they were really wasted there. Whereas this is Joe and Che at their best. This is as good a weekend update as we had last year. This is a, a, a recapturing of the energy and the momentum that they had at the end of last season. And I was so happy to see it. Uh, yeah. Big thumbs up on Justin Chase performance tonight. Thumbs up indeed. Cool. 
Let's take a look at our first feature. Kate McKinnon as Ruth Bader Ginsburg is back to comment on the nomination of Brent Kavanaugh. Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. We always love seeing Kate. We love her Ginsburns. Obviously, the crowd's into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first Ginsburg crowd lit up like it was a Kramer <laughs> entrance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this character works, especially with uh, the subject matter at hand. Yeah. And I think she's a gift from God to have this... <laughs> real political figure to you know to lampoon on yeah for my money this is my favorite kate mckinnon desk character i think the high energy gins burns next to a character that's supposed to be so old and frail that they can't lift a bag of quarters i think that that's just such a funny starting point yes and kate's performance is always so strong with this watch what she's doing You know, she talks about floating on water, like a water bug. And she's got this little performance beat where she like maneuvers around the desk with her fingers a little bit, like a water bug. She has to have such a mind for performance to be able to find those little beats that work so well in the character and just to move so quick, you know, she's not stopping to think there's not a moment where she just like has to look up at the ceiling and collect her thoughts and think, what is the next piece to this? performance she's just there in the moment rocking it every time and uh i'm surprised that she can keep a character like this uh so strong oh yeah and i think it's her direct involvement in in scoping it out mm-hmm. i'm not sure what particular writers are involved with putting this together but they they seem to know how to just use uh kate mckinnon to right. her utmost full potential it shows in this character more than a lot of her characters do It is a perfect vehicle for what Kate McKinnon can bring, and uh, I love it. It's a match made in heaven. Moving on, we got a walk-on. Leslie Jones as Serena Williams. What do we make of this? Are you even aware of kind of the news surrounding Serena Williams that would necessitate this feisty little moment? I think so. I think uh, she was a bit of a sore loser, it seems. (laughs) Okay. But I think it's past the statute of limitations for coverage on Weekend Update, Okay, which is pretty much the basis of this whole joke, right? Right. They've talked about it. Uh, They weren't going to do it, but yeah, Leslie Jones had other plans (laughs) because she worked so hard on the body. She was fully committed. So yeah, it works with Leslie's larger than life personality. Right, right. She wouldn't let a no keep her (laughs) from getting on camera. Yeah. So yeah, this was welcome. And uh, I loved the quick shift in energy for Weekend Update. Yep. It was a fun little change of pace. You don't get a lot of the out in front character walk-ons uh that was something that we saw a lot with like tina fey and jimmy fallon they had like exactly gay hitler <laughs> and you know other stuff like that or even uh the seth era you had fred arbison he would come out as uh, i think like the governor of new york or something like that and he was blind and would like walk yeah. the camera. like they, they would have fun little changes of pace like that throughout update we don't get a whole lot of that with jost and chase so yeah this was welcome this was fun i didn't really know much about the news story surrounding it so i wasn't in on the joke but Leslie Jones, it's just, it's the energy, it's the performance, it's the, yeah, nobody puts baby in a corner kind of thing that makes it work. And uh, so I had fun with it. Happy that it didn't stay too long though. I mean, it was not going to last another 10 seconds. So good on them for keeping up the pace and moving on to our final feature, Pete Davidson discussing how he spent his summer. I really thought this worked super well. And it made me realize this is what makes Pete's best work pop on camera is when he's happy with the material. Mm-hmm. Cause you can see that <laughs> in the nines with this one, he's been sitting on this for a while. Yeah. 
it's it's almost a no-brainer that we see Pete on Weekend Update after everything that happened in the summer. Sure. And he was itching to talk about it. The eagerness he had to do this bit really sold it well. Yep. Yeah, it made me realize that when he's happy with his material, it, it works a hundred times better. Yeah, Pete has always mined his own life for his comedy. And when he was going through some you know, darker times over the last couple of seasons, I felt like what he was bringing forward was a little more challenging because it's, it's hard to, you know, laugh at suffering, you know, and that's kind of where he was at in a lot of ways. So it's a little bit harder for me to kind of get on board with that kind of stuff, but this was perfect for Pete Davidson, right? Like his life right now is the gift that keeps on giving for a stand-up comedian because <laughs> you are the joke and you get to own it and you get to kind of craft it and make it whatever you want it to be. And what he came up with was perfect. You know, he's a little self-deprecating and kind of saying like, he's the sick kid that the entire city rallied around and let him act out his Batman fantasy. Like that's kind of like how he feels his life is going right now. That it's too good to be true. So, um, that kind of smart observation on his situation, I think is really inspired. And I thought the whole piece worked really well. Oh yeah, it did. And, uh, I hope this, uh, this whole situation with him pumps out even more great material. Uh, yeah. I mean, he is the talk of the town and he's getting a lot of press. So hopefully that'll all be good fodder for future update parts. Uh, it is nice to see him on an upswing. Yep. All right. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch an old timey robber baron speaks to his son's class about crushing your enemies. Yeah, this was, uh, this was hilarious mm-hmm. and we owe it all to Adam driver. He, uh, he carried this sketch, did almost all of the, uh, heavy lifting. Yeah. Once Alex came on and, and set the premise for the sketch, uh, we just got comedy gold from then on and it was all in the performance. It was all in the realization of that very cliche, very over, uh, used character, uh, in a lot of storytelling. It reminded me of Will Ferrell's old prospector in that cut for time sketch from back in the nineties. It definitely had that hokiness and fish out of water element mm-hmm. that made it work. Yeah. Just the bizarreness of that is is enough to make a sketch, you know, a lot of fun. And I had a lot of fun with this, I must say. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're right. He's a character at a time. That's kind of the the fun starting point of this is that the ruthlessness that a robber baron would have been uh, sort of like lauded for in the 19th yeah. century doesn't play today. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to explore that, but I'm going to say as much as Adam driver's performance was brilliant in this and, and fantastic and definitely carry the sketch. It would have been nothing without the writing. This was perfectly crafted in so many ways. You have Melissa's character, which is eating it up and goading him on to like go even further with his ranting. Yeah. Uh, so you have that next to the son character who is basically loathed and disdained by his father because as they reveal at the end, the son is ultimately his long plotted revenge against his arch nemesis. Like that's, that's some pretty heavy writing to convey in a three minute sketch and have it all land as well as it did. So fantastic on the performance side of things, fantastic on the writing side of things nothing but high praise for this, this there's no point in, you know, uh, dancing around it. This is my sketch of the night. Hands down. For sure. It it was written, uh, brilliantly Pete not being able to keep it together was another thing (laughs) that was tickling my funny bone. Sure. And he really didn't stand a chance. I cannot blame him because he was taking all of that point blank, you (laughs) know, like sawed off shotgun style. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, there's nowhere to hide from that. And he can barely keep it together as is. He's almost like another Jimmy Fallon in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. But when you have Adam Driver bursting into the room and just frothing at the mouth right in front of you like that, like that, that level of performance that I bet he, you know, probably held back a little bit when they were doing blocking and, and the earlier rehearsal. So this might be the first time that Pete Davidson saw the full potential of Adam driver's robber Baron in all yeah. his glory. So yeah, it hit him like a, a Mack truck and that just made the sketch even better. Like, oh, you man. know, that Pete isn't the kind of seasoned pro that could hold it together through that, but you appreciate that. Yeah. There was nothing that could have helped Pete in that moment. So yeah, fun, fun, always around a little bit of breaking, but not so much that it derailed the sketch. I can live with that. Yeah. Hey, in Pete's defense, I think the Queens guard <laughs> sure. would have cracked up at that. So I'll give him a pass. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Let's uh, keep rolling, though. Yeah. We get our 10 to 1 sketch pretty early in the evening because, as we know, we're going to get a extra musical number after the good nights. So this is going to be it for our sketch fair. We get the League of the South weigh the pros and cons of relocating to Vermont. I thought this was great. It was a very simple uh, observation. <laughs> and um, as innocently as we poke fun at Vermont for being kind of you know scarce and diversity and all that <laughs> yeah if you if you tweak the language in just the right way you could make it sound like a perfect haven for a neo-nazi right, right. <laughs> and uh yeah i thought just that alone was perfect fodder for a 10 to one yeah it really is all the things that we would consider uh like traditional values and quaint and just rural pleasantry could very easily appeal to, you know, someone who is looking to avoid what they would consider the more unsavory aspects of American culture. So I thought this was fun. And for 10 to one fair, surprisingly strong, right? Like this, this wasn't a groaner. This, this didn't really miss the mark. It said what it wanted to say. It, it had a fun little uh, back and forth as the meeting chairman slowly kind of gets one over. It, it was fun. It worked and it got out pretty quick. So all in all, I'll call this one a win. Fun 10 to 1, strong 10 to 1. You covered it. Yep. For sure. Now, we would be remiss if we didn't peek in on the good nights before we get into our ratings here because Adam Driver does the traditional thank yous, but then introduces Kanye for his third song, which is then followed by several minutes of West pontificating about his particularly controversial worldview. Now, this isn't something that many people have been able to hear to really know kind of what his point was or really what he was getting at. All we have are little snippets uh, like Instagram stories that have trickled out online. So I don't really have a whole lot to say about this because I don't really know what his overall message was or if it was as immediately reprehensible as so many people assumed it was. So uh, I'm just going to step back and say my hunch is that Kanye was just being controversial and, you know, maybe speaking his mind, but delving into Kanye's mind can be a, uh, <laughs> a challenging affair. So yeah. I don't really know where we want to go with this, but do you have any clever thoughts? Uh, a lot of gibberish to pair through to try <laughs> sure. and find some meeting in this and I mean, it's very like Kanye to make us scratch our heads <laughs> sure. and for him to leave us wondering what the hell we just listened to or witnessed. From what I can tell, he seems to associate the whole idea of Trump and, and his presidency with freedom. You know, he was saying, I'll put on my superhero cape and, and throw on his, you know, make America great again hat. Right. And, and said he could do whatever the, the expletive. He wants. So 
I think it's just a, a very elaborate way of saying that it's it's about liberty to him. And <laughs> not sure how he got to that point. Uh, still waiting for the translation on the rest of it. But that's all I got, man. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we had something more brilliant to offer here. I have a feeling that a lot of this is Kanye saying something that I think deep down he knows is kind of provocative or doing something that he knows is provocative, like wearing the hat. Of course, that's going to raise some eyebrows, but then he tries to paper over it with some flowery artsy rationale as to why, you know, there's some conviction behind him doing something that is obviously very salacious and meant to generate controversy. So I'm going to play the cynic on this and just assume that, uh, whatever this was, was just simply meant for press. It was meant to keep Kanye in the headlines. It was just meant to generate some heat. And, uh, I always feel a little silly that it, it works as well as it does that as a culture, we're so quick to latch onto these and, and want to bite into the next non-controversy that some celebrity tries to drum up. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't have anything yeah. great to say about it. Just, probably not something that we needed. I don't think that the cast really wanted to participate in it. The, the clips that are out there show them being very uncomfortable standing behind him on home base while he goes off on a rant that is quickly devolving into a, a diatribe about possibly pro Trump sentiments that I don't think line up with the sensibilities of most of the writers and, and uh, players over there. So this, uh, this was a little cringy. I think maybe that's my bottom line. This just oh. probably didn't need to happen. Let's pick this cast back up. Let's let's go to something worth talking about. Okay, so you're over it. That's fine. I'm over it too. I was over it before we started. Beautiful. That's our episode rundown. We're done with Kanye. Moment of the night. My moment of the night is uh, the very specific direction given to Matt Damon's Brett Kavanaugh to read through his uh, his documents. He made a very convincing Kavanaugh reading face that. I thought played to a lot of laughs and it was a, it was a fun little moment that opened up the show and made me realize, you know, why I missed what SNL is doing these days. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It made me excited for a whole season of great stuff. All right. So your moment of the night is literally the setup that I was bagging on when we were covering the cold open, the let's explain in explicit detail, exactly the funny mannerism that we're about to put on display and then we will do it and everyone will laugh. Yeah. Okay. All right. And now that's on record. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, hey, it's your moment. For my moment, I'm going with Che's little runner in the middle of Weekend Update where he's talking about why the Republicans feel that they need to champion Kavanaugh when they could just pull in, you know, some other member of their lizard Illuminati meeting. Why does it have to be him? You can't just pick another dude from your Illuminati lizard meetings. <laughs> Republicans so pro-life that you don't even have a plan B for this? I think that that was a really good turn of phrase and I feel like he hit it well. And I just feel like that was a, a really, really sharp joke. Anyways, that's my, uh, that's my moment. Okay. All right. Best sketch. I am loving my old oil baron sure. sketch. I think it showcased the great host that they had and uh it just felt like home sure with the familiar uh classroom set and uh one of my favorite newcomers melissa having a 
you know, a big role in it. This was a perfect recipe for me to consider this a favorite. Okay. I'm right there with you. Solid writing, solid performance. Don't really need to get into the details again. I think we covered it pretty well, but uh, this was good. This was great material. And Adam Driver just really nailed it. So I had fun with it. Thought that was really great. So that'll be my sketch as well. Yeah. MVP. My MVP is going to Michael Che. Okay. He was just fantastic on Weekend Update. And whether he was begging on Brett Kavanaugh or you know, missing the point entirely with Bill Cosby and, and <laughs> focusing on the whole Cliff Huxtable Cosby show debacle. That was brilliant. And, you know, I think he really showcased why he's a huge part of what's making SNL work. And uh, he stole the show with his 15 minute segment. My props to him. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. It was definitely a solid outing for Che. Uh, I'm going to give it to Kate McKinnon. I think that her performance as Ruth Bader Ginsburg is just stunning work. I really respect how effortless she can perform that character with so much energy, with all the dance moves, with all the characterization, playing off Jost perfectly, just really selling that material. She's a, a very capable player and just a seasoned pro at this point. And she does magic with that kind of material. And uh, I think occasionally we just, we got to respect it, right? Like last season, we saw her do a lot of political impressions that you kind of groan at after a while, just because the material supporting them isn't great. And there's just not so much that she can do under all that prosthetic and with lackluster material. Yeah. But when you give her something like this, she just brings it to life like no other. So I'll, I'll give it to her. I think it was a good night for her. All right. And so it shall be. Cool. Big question on a scale of classic, great, decent, weak. Or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? I don't think I'll go classic on this one, but I would say it's deserving of a great. Mm-hmm. Everything was working. We were itching to hear from Pete after everything that's went on over the summer, and the sketches were were so strong. We had a great host to start it off. Kanye definitely stirred the pot. Sure, and there's just so much going on. It's a busy episode. Not a lot weighing it down in terms of, you know, poor writing, right. things not working. I think more often than not, everything worked the way it should have, the way they wanted it to. And uh, this is a pretty good aim and fire from the SNL team. Yep. A lot of times we have high hopes for the premiere and then they come out a little clunky and you remember, oh, right. They're just starting this five days ago and they've been off all summer and there's just not a whole lot leading into it to kind of have a good energy and momentum. And so you feel the the highs and lows, the, the uneven writing, the kind of the lack of clear voice for the show right. for the first run sometimes. And I, I feel like we felt that a lot last year, uh, early on. So for this episode to come out and feel very competent, right? Like there was no bottoming out of any sketch. Even the sketches that weren't super funny were still super competent. Yeah. A lot of it was stuff we've seen before. So we kind of already knew that they worked, you know, the recurring vehicles that we got at least, but they worked well on their second outing, you know, and they took that material and they still made the second outing great in some cases, like the video game sketch, which is surprising. So they handled their material really well. The live material was surprisingly consistent and strong, and that's really rare for SNL in general, even more so from a premiere. And then you have some solid pre-tapes. To me, the the biggest annoyance of this episode really was Kanye West. I didn't know what he was trying to achieve the first time. Am I supposed to be laughing at him or just crying at how, <laughs> you know, bizarre it is? Um, and then 
for him to kind of throw the show for a curve there and put the cast off at the end is a little obnoxious to say the least. So like, I don't have like really, really warm feelings about Kanye, but everything that the staff was bringing, I loved. So I'll give this a great too. I think this was a pretty solid episode and surprisingly so for a premiere. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Well, I think, uh, that's pretty well covered. You got anything else you want to say? I think that does it, bud. Cool. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn and thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Jonathan Jordan, and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Aquafina and musical guest Travis Scott. But until then, this has been episode number 55 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to Matt Damon, Rachel Dratch, Tayana Taylor, Little Pump, this cast, these writers, Lord Michaels, once again, Kanye West. an oil baron, but what do you actually do all day? Perhaps I was not clear. <laughs> Luckily, I brought a visual aid which will illuminate the ins and outs of the oil industry. This dead bird <laughs> represents those who would wish you ill, once proud, flying high above the earth in bloody defiance of her gifts. And now you return her to earth, naked and defeated. I am licking you I crushed you into the ground. And now your bones turn to oil beneath my living feet. I married your granddaughter, filled her belly with my festering seed, and sired a boy. He is my final revenge, HR. Come on! I want to be you when I grow up! And so you shall! (laughs) Now, children, I was asked to bring a healthy snack, so join me in the hall for swine livers and Capri Suns. All right, kids, go out and eat those pigs!